coming to you from the KUCI headquarters in sunny Irvine, California. It's the talk show formerly known as Half Past Five with Paxton Wright. Tonight's guest, comedian Amos Vernon. Featuring music from Amos Vernon and Allison Spence Brown. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Paxton Wright. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Folks, this is Paxton Wright speaking. Same Paxton Wright as the previous, what, 15 or so episodes? That has not changed. Uh, I, I, I remain assuming this identity, uh, and I will for the foreseeable future. Uh, I want to welcome you all to what I think is a really fantastic episode, what I think is one of our best. And I'd say they've all been, they've all been bangers thus far. I don't think there's been a stinker in the bunch. You may disagree, but I think it's been a a 10 on 10 series thus far. Just kidding. I think there's been some room for improvement, but I think by and large the show has been very strong. But I think uh, we've we've hit a milestone today. I had the privilege, privilege, pleasure and privilege last week of sitting down with comedian Amos Vernon. Uh, Amos is a guy with a, a fairly stacked resume and does uh, a lot of pretty great work with uh, Upright Citizens Brigade School of Improv and Sketch Comedy. He's a uh, sketch comic uh, with the troupe Boat. That's B-O-A-T. Uh, I may have seen some of their stuff on YouTube before. He also plays uh, Uncle Sam. Yes, that Uncle Sam on the hit True TV series, Adam Ruins Everything. He's a recurring character on that show. Very, very funny. And also has two, count them, two short films on the indie circuit right now. One, both of which he stars in, both of which he co-wrote, one of which he co-directed. Uh, one of those films is Baggage, which he worked on with uh, his co-star, very, very talented actress, Allison Spence Brown. And the other is Dig Your Own Grave, which he worked on with a uh, very talented director and writer, uh, Kirk Larson. We'll actually be closing out the show today, very excited about this, with one, perhaps two songs, if time permits, from the soundtrack to Baggage, which was recorded, written and recorded by Amos and Allison. Uh, so very excited to play that as well. Now, Amos and I actually have a bit of a history together. We actually first met early last year when I took a sketch comedy writing class taught by Amos at the UCB uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in Hollywood um, and uh, really took a lot away from that class and (laughs) tried to apply some of it to the sketches that I've done for this show thus far. And I think I still have a considerably long way to go before I really master the craft because I I won't pretend that I've put the uh, obscene amount of hours into it that are necessary to really get great at it. But, you know, doing my part, doing my job, doing my work, and hoping it translates better and better on the show. Amos and I actually recorded uh, one of the sketches from his troupe, Boat, uh, and we will play later on this episode. I was very, very proud of that. It was very funny, uh, very privileged to get to read for that. And so stay tuned. You'll hear that in about, yeah, I think like the 45-minute mark is when it come up. Come up. Comes up. So so stay tuned. It's around that. Uh, anyway, this intro is already running a bit long, as they tend to do. Uh, if you want to throw me some pointers how to keep my intros short, sweet, and 
uh, still chock full of content, you can let me know by reaching out to me with any questions, compliments, inquiries, insults, and or advice to my email, at my email, I don't remember the structure of the sentence, you can contact my email at paxtonwright at KUCI.org. That's P-A-X-T-O-N-W-R-I-G-H-T at K-U-C-I dot ho har G. Now, folks, I also understand that, listen, it's it's July, practically August of 2019. You're busy. You're living a fast, on-the-go lifestyle. You know, you eat your yogurt from a tube. You're... you're you're living the true lifestyle of the 21st century. You don't have time to sit and listen to an hour of radio. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not Dick Van Dyke in 1942. You're not gathering around the fire in your brownstone uh, Brooklyn home to listen to the to listen to the Paxton Wright Variety Hour only on KOCI. You know, no, you're 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 a busy person. You, you need to get your your interviews on your own time, at your own pace, at your own leisure. Well, I'm proud to tell you that there's a way you can do that. You can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and type in KUCI colon the talk show formerly known as Half Past Five. And you can find this episode along with uh, all previous episodes uh, available in podcast form. So if there's any you've missed, you can check them out there. A uh, lot of great content, a lot of good, good stuff. So uh, I encourage you to do that. I understand that the title is a little long. Uh, in fact, I actually drive Lyft, and I was telling some passengers about it last weekend, and their biggest pointer was like, hey, you, you got to shorten that title. That's a nightmare. And while I understand that, and while they're objectively right, uh, I won't do that because the title makes me giggle. That's about it for me. Keep it locked and loaded right here on KUCI. I don't like that I said that. That was weird. Anyway, just just stay tuned here on KUCI and enjoy my interview with the incomparable Amos Vernon. Enjoy. We will circle back, or we won't. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. You look yeah, it up. Yeah, you you yeah. have smartphones. Yeah. You know what to do. Yeah. Uh, now, Amos, you grew up in North Carolina. Yes. In in Raleigh, am I? In uh, close uh, in Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill, which is like forty minutes away from Raleigh, but right in the middle. It's where you know the middle of the state near the Research Triangle Park, UNC, Duke, NC State. A lot of progressive, young education academia stuff going on there right yeah so in a generally purple state you grew up in one of the bluer yeah 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 north it's i i think of that the middle of the state is kind of like all the like a lot of the great parts of the south with minimal of the (laughs) right you know they still exist but like less of the truly repugnant parts right you only Uh, only a handful of confederate flags yeah yeah um but hey if you get into the you know the middle of California, you can find those too. Oh yes, oh which is yeah, really nuts. God, um, but yeah, North yeah. Carolina, big fan of my friends and family there. I would hope so, yeah. um, but uh, plenty that aren't. No judgment to them. Yeah. We all have different paths. Uh, and growing up in that time, so you grew. It was a relatively small town, or yeah. So I grew up. Uh, the closest town that anyone knows is called Chapel Hill, which is where UNC is, like a college town. But I grew up. Actually, in this town next door called Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. which is just a, the quaintest of quaint, like um, Andy Griffith show looking town, like with a courthouse and a 
you know, a traf- it's just very, like, very quaint. It's known for its antique stores. Did you have the one local sheriff that everybody knew and was friends yes. with? Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is in the, in the 90s, correct? Yep, grew up in the 90s. Uh, born in 1985, so, you know, yeah. the ni- 90s kid. Right. Uh, that's uh, 95, so my generation, we like to call ourselves 90s kids, yeah, but yeah, let's, not play, let's not play Gen games. Z? We're so, so, what are you? I, I don't know. It's a debate I'm well past Who, at this yeah, point. Yeah, I don't Com- know what you, I don't know what anyone is. Call me what you want, just not matter. late for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in that time, you grew up watching a lot of, uh, Monty Python, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the golden age of The Simpsons. Yes, as, yes. Uh, people... Those are two big, big influences of mine. Yeah. Sure. And then later on, a bit of, I mean, come the late 90s, Mr. Show as well. Yeah. Bob Odenkirk, David Cross. Yeah. Growing up watching that, mm-hmm. was sketch comedy something that you were pretty adamant, like, oh, I want to do that? Watching it, were you just like, that's fun? That looks Not nice. at all. Yeah. Not at all. I feel like the answer that most of my peers have is like, God, I was such a comedy guy. Comedy. Like, I don't think I actually was a comedy nerd. In retrospect, maybe I was. I sought it out, but I didn't know there, there was such an identity known as comedy nerd. Yeah, I really liked The Simpsons. I really liked Monty Python. And then I really liked Mr. Show. Yeah, I did not think that there was a future there. I didn't know what I wanted to do mm-hmm. pre-college, even post-college a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And you ended up going to Berkeley mm-hmm. later on, majored in peace double and con- Yeah, peace and conflict studies and Spanish. Right. What a, what a duo. Well, they both involve... Oh, they go together, but I guess I don't know what I expected to do. I mean, to be fair, Spanish is about language. Yes. And sketch writing. Sketches yes. are all about conflict and yes. generally finding peace at the end. Thank so. you. Exactly. It all comes together. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. So, you say it was post-college then. Was it like, or, or I mean, well, during college. It was probably but, during, it was during college. Yeah, because that was when you became part of uh, the, you, or you co-founded. Co- the, uh, yeah, there's, uh, Berkeley didn't have a... Um, an improv group when I got there and I was I had always wanted to try it because I did like theater in high school and the only group that I knew of when I got there I just met some friends you know freshman year uh, the only group doing improv and sketch comedy was uh, an Asian American theater group on, <laughs> on campus called Theater Rice and it was like 95% Asian cast but they would accept anyone I was like sure uh, and I joined it. It was like a formative, great experience my yeah. freshman year. And then some people from that went off and founded this improv group called Jericho, of which I was one of the, the founding members. There were like, you know, eight of us. And it still exists. Now right. it's like, it's their thing. It's They have, they're popular and stuff. You and left yeah. a, a, a lasting legacy. Yeah, I can't believe it. It's yeah. around. And like, I think going strong. Right. Uh, circle back. Wait, you say you weren't a uh, comedy. Yeah. The, in retrospect, it, I was an attention geek. Okay. I like. I was always funny and liked having attention and liked like performing for people, and so I did theater in high school. So I guess I I did like that aspect, but I just it hadn't crystallized that that was anything I would pursue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, one thing that always kind of interests me because I feel like it's generally one way or the other mm-hmm. when you hear about it from uh, most comedy people mm-hmm. is they always say like oh I was the class clown I was always you know vying for attention in front of everybody or it was I was shy I was in the back I was in yeah. my own world was it a, was it a black or white uh, or? I was hmm I would definitely err on the side of class clown mm-hmm. but I think I was more of a smart 
that liked being right and getting attention. Like, I, I think I was probably a nightmare to a lot of my teachers because I was kind of like a little smart kid who felt unchallenged and was like, okay, I'm going to do my own thing. Color outside the lines. Call me when you have something for me to do. Right. Uh, which I think was probably really obnoxious. <laughs> um, so I curbed those habits come high school and then just became a brown noser who was funny on the side. See, so, yeah. that's, that's uh, I think, kind of the... I did a similar thing through most mm-hmm. of high school. It was, it was it was actually like a case by case thing depending yeah. on my classes. It was math and science. I just shut up, shut down, and like and like like dissociated from the world. Yeah. And then like English and history, I was the like, hey everybody, hi. Yeah. And yeah. like it just kind of yeah. Yeah. It yeah. totally varied. Uh, and so yeah, but you you went to so yeah you, you went to Berkeley, mm-hmm. co-founded Jericho, mm-hmm. and. After that, mm-hmm. or was it at Berkeley where you met um, the other members of Boat, Mike Lane? and Yeah, so I met Nunzio Rendazzo. At that time, he went by Al- Alessandro Rendazzo. It's a whole other story. It's his name, he now goes by Nunzio. Okay. Uh, it's his middle name. Uh, he was in Jericho. Uh, you know, I, I auditioned him. <laughs> um, uh, he joined a year or two after I, it was founded. And then um, Mike... Lane went to UC Davis, and we met him via, they had just started a new improv group there called Bird Strike Theater, and so our like groups would perform together, and I got to know Mike. But in college, I was not close with either of them. Mm-hmm. Friendly acquaintances. Sure. Um, sure. But very well may have never seen them again. And so, when you went to Berkeley, mm-hmm. do you think... Maybe subconsciously, like this is like maybe weighty, but coming from sort of small town North Carolina, mm-hmm. do you think part of the reason you w- moved out west was to sort of get closer to that scene? Like maybe maybe not the forefront of your mind, but do you think that was there, or was it just Berkeley's no. a great school? I, I there was nothing in my mind thinking of entertainment or comedy or like the Berkeley might be the least funny school in the world, to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was not in my mind. I think. I really wanted to go to the biggest public school I could find. Mm-hmm. Truly. I I was like, I felt like I wanted to go somewhere to be anonymous. I'd sort of been a big loud fish in a small pond for a while in uh, North Carolina. And I was just looking to, that's why I went from Berkeley then to like New York. So I was just looking for a bigger and bigger place. And then, to be honest, I knew almost nothing about Berkeley. It's embarrassing to say, but true. I think on the East Coast for people are not family like in academia families it doesn't like random kids don't think like wow berkeley the free speech movement they don't know the history as much as if you were on the west coast or were like involved in academia i just learned about it like a month before i you know applied to it and right. was like cool that's the biggest one in california right. great but then it was a i did learn of it's like very you know progressive history and i was always you know, looking to just go further, further and further explore how far left I could go just to provoke when I was in small town, North Carolina. And so I was like, I'm going to Berkeley. Right. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I loved it. Part of the, part of the yeah. elite bubble now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Welcome. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, now I'm here. Now I understand why everyone else is dumb and I'm so smart. Uh, just no. see through it all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah, you mentioned that you went to New York after Berkeley. Yes. Um, in that time, mm. that was... Uh, you you went to New York like full fledged to like drop everything and pursue sketch yeah. at that point so, or yeah so actually after Berkeley I I didn't go immediately to New York so I graduated a semester late in the fall of 08 famously 
the you know the Great Recession and with a major in peace and conflict studies, which is like not setting myself up for success. But by some miracle, I got a job working for an international nonprofit in Vermont. Mm -hmm. So I had studied abroad in Argentina, and that organization hired me to work for them in Vermont. So I moved to Vermont. Uh, it's the company's called World Learning, and I worked for their the branch of their organization called the Experiment in International Living, which is a high school study abroad program. So for like half the year, I was in an office, like a little cottage office in Vermont, like coordinating programs, recruiting scholarship students. I was driving to high schools and doing presentations. And then during the summer for two years, I would go to Argentina with 12 high school students. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I did that. If, if I didn't go to New York, I would maybe be running that company now. Like right. it was great. It was, truly was a, a lovely job and I had no complaints other than I just had this like nagging feeling that if I didn't leave this job soon, I would be there forever in a teeny small town of Vermont. And I, I had, I wanted to go bigger and mm -hmm. I knew I would regret it forever if I didn't give the vague idea of comedy a go. Right. Like I didn't specifically know what I wanted to do. I just know I wanted to go find out what UCB was all about in New York. Mm -hmm. And like have my like New York twenties New York experience. <laughs> you're yeah. like uh, you're like Samantha. Yeah, you really you exactly. really did it. yes. Wow. So at that point, when you moved to New York, I'm actually kind of positing a similar question Great. that I heard from uh, uh, you know Sean Evans on Hot Ones. You know the mm -hmm. the hot wing eating yeah. show. He asked a question to a guest a few weeks ago that I thought was really interesting, which was uh, and I, I kind of want to pose it to you because mm -hmm. similar experience. Mm -hmm. That that up and move to New York to pursue something so niche and and like intimidating and and difficult to get a foot in the door yeah. of is your advice to somebody who would do that like because I, I think that's the thing is like like so many people are just like you just gotta go do it you just gotta get up and go do yeah. it yeah like is are do you say be that cavalier about it where what are your take oh on? man uh, i was deeply ignorant at how hard it would be to do and i think that's why i did it i i give people this advice sometimes it's like if you can picture yourself being happy doing anything else like truly fulfilled you should probably do that and that's a horrible thing to say but i think the only way to do it is with reckless abandon mm -hmm. because comedy or entertainment or acting or writing, all those are like quote unquote dream jobs that people move from throughout the world to New York and LA. And the only way you are possibly going to claw out of the mud and get a foothold in them is by like just working harder than all those other people who want to or going to Harvard and having your dad call a showrunner. Um, ooh, burn. Oh, we don't have to uh, say who. But. No. Oh, half, half of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, I would say yes. I don't think there's a cautious way to go about it because I feel like there are going to be a thousand less cautious people mm -hmm. and you're not going to beat them. Yeah, I think if you are sure about it, go all in, go for it. That's why I did it, you know, I was 22, three when I moved. And it, I, I told myself, I was like, you know what? This is a thing I can try and fail. And I can always go back to the like office job. Mm -hmm. But the other way around, it seemed impossible. Like it's not impossible, but it seems like it'd be harder to dive into the comedy scene when I was 40. So yeah, I think 
if you want to do it, I, I, I am an enabler for friends who want to pursue their dreams. Mm-hmm. So I, I do advise people to be a little reckless. But just be clear-eyed that it's not glamorous. Almost never glamorous. Bumps yeah. and bruises for years, possibly. Yeah. If, you, if I had known how long it would take to even get some kind of momentum, I don't know if I would have done it. Really? But now I'm happy I did. And also my trajectory is actually significantly faster in the bell curve of people who try it. And mm. so you see all the success stories and you want to be them, but that's like the 1% of the 1%. Oh yeah, I, I could, I got a lot of speeches for people who are thinking about it, <laughs> uh, uh, I, but I usually say go for it. That, yeah, that's just one of the things I think with, um, especially for my generation, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's affected me specifically, both positively and negatively, and it's something I'm trying to sort of get past mm-hmm. now, is now with this advent of, uh, it's such a cliche worn out phrase, the advent of the internet now. But yeah, like, but change now, everything. But now with like, with the way change it's blown, it with the way it's blown up though, and so many people who have had the success story having their voice mm. now making it so clear clearer than ever I think how hard it's going to be and how much it will probably not work out mm. and how risky it is I think it probably for better or for worse intimidates so many people I think it intimidated myself for a long yeah. time to actually start taking any plunges and yeah. risks I feel like the thing I will always encourage people to do is do it it's so cliche but like follow your passion like what do you actually want to do without necessarily thinking of the ends because it's hard to it's impossible i think to be like i want their career so i'm going to try and replicate it because every career is lightning in a bottle like you can't recreate everything i've ever gotten has never happened the way i thought it would and the only thing you can do is like something that you want to do not because you are doing it because the person you're emulating did it it's not like I've magically figured that out. I've done, I've tried to recreate every career, but everything I've gotten has come from like, ooh, I like doing this, so I'm going to do it a lot. And the byproduct is me getting accidentally really good. Right. It's a frustrating world because it's full of, it's a nebulous career path with no obvious way to go. Uh, and there are no shortcuts and no actual hot tips other than like put in an ungodly amount of hours and then you'll get really good. Yeah, so I just say you have to put the hours in somehow. Put them in doing like the thing you're passionate about, even if you're like this will literally lead to nothing. This is a waste of time. If you like doing it, I don't know, just do it as much as you can. Yeah, it could be, you know, parody like recorder songs, or I want to paint. I'm going to be the guy who paints comics. Like I don't even know what that is, but I don't know if you like that. Do that. There's probably a very niche market for it. Yeah, like yeah. I feel like the most common through line for success, in quotes, are people who did something that is so deeply them that that is how they got noticed. But yeah, that's the most frustrating advice ever because I hated it when people told it to me. Right. Everything I'm saying, I called bullshit on, but now I think it's true. Yeah. It's like how your parents are like, you'll understand when you get older and you're like, screw you. Ah, oh, it's true. Ah, they got me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's essentially busting your busting your butt and taking risks and doing something that is uniquely you and not yeah cop not just cop i mean of and course I, copying and emulating yeah oh yeah the it's beginning, all part it's of natural. it but it's like it's hard to say like i get i stressed out about being like what is uniquely me how do i do it and i never 
was successful being like, I'm going to choose what's uniquely me. Mm -hmm. It would just be the times have been successful where I'm like so fed up and feel like I'm failing and never going to be successful that I might as well just do this thing that's fun. Right. And then that has been what like, oh, wow, that someone like that. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's something that I've just, yeah, I, I've, uh, I mean, I've even seen, and I want to get more into sure. Boat and your sketch work in a second, but I've seen that in, in your work is very clear, like, and I say this in the best possible way, like mm -hmm. very clear, like, influence and you can see where things like Monty Python and the oh, Simpsons yeah. came in like very much my style is you can see where it comes from but it's your it's like a very unique voice it is a it is a brand of comedy it's the kind of thing where if you're looking for it you can see like oh they probably watched x y and oh, z yeah. growing up but it's like, it's, totally yeah it doesn't feel like it's that yeah uh but yeah so so back to back to boat when you got to New York, mm -hmm. uh, the mm -hmm. way you linked up with uh, with Mike and Nunzio was very uh, serendipitous, I guess, right? Yeah, we well, all three of us didn't know anyone there, and we found out that each other were there, and we were the we were like, oh, I kind of know you, and I kind of know you, and we were all taking wanting to take UCB classes, and so we met up. Uh, there's actually a fourth member. This is a fun oh, fact to vote. News to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, the founder, actual founder of Jericho, Mujan Zulfagari, still friends with her. Um, the four of us met up with the vague idea like, hey, we should do improv or sketch together. And then Mujan couldn't make our first show and she got on Herald Night and so just got very busy. Harold Knight, sorry that, for those yeah. who don't know, but it's a, it's a, one of the shows at uh, Yeah, it's like a house team at UCB that was at the time for her like a big deal. And Nunzio, Mike, and I just kept performing. And I feel like we got good because we were the group that didn't quit, one. We just kept going because we didn't have anything else going on. Mm -hmm. We performed at theaters that were very unfriendly. Like we... We had a chip on our shoulder about UCB because the first show we pitched them, they didn't take. And we were like, screw you guys. <laughs> and so then we performed at like stand-up shows and bars and like weird cafes. And so we got very used to tough crowds. And yeah, we just, we believed we were better than we were. We faked it till we made it a lot. And then when we went back to the UCB like two years later to pitch a new show, uh, we were like, screw UCB. <laughs> And they were like, oh, this show's great. Absolutely do the show here. And we were like, oh, oh, wait, we got really good. Like, right. we, we just, we didn't even know that we, how much better we had gotten just through sp spiteful performing and not belonging anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we were like diehard UCB from then right. on. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we, when we formed, we didn't think we'd make it our thing. It was just, everyone forms an improper sketch group when they start doing it but we just stuck around and then got we were like wow we know how to do this now right yeah right and this is a story that i've heard you tell on a few podcasts oh, it's boy. one that you told in our class but i, I think it's funny and i think it's, oh, it's so what is it gonna it's be? gonna it's gonna raise enough questions so we should address right. it yeah where did the name boat come from ah so uh i i it's like an anti-story really because our first show we ever did i can say this now is uh, it was a festival in North Carolina in my hometown that we lied to get into. We said we had done shows before. We had not. <laughs> and we needed a name when applying. And it was like the night before sending it in. And we came up with a big list of all these names and couldn't think of anything. We were really bickering and fed up. And we had to put something on the form. And someone said boat. And it was very funny how like 
after all these thoughtful names had been thrown out, it was like the most boring noun we could think of. And we're just like, screw it, just write boat. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and then, and then, it, yeah, and then it was like, well, I guess that's it. Uh, and then it felt very chantable. And so we like to imagine people <laughs> chanting boat, which I don't know if this ever happened. One day. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's happened when we've encouraged it. But right. we've, we've visioned, envisioned arenas like chanting it. It was like, very chantable. It's one of those things where it's a weirdly, for, for no good reason, just a word that when any thought at all is put to it, it gets kind of silly and funny to yeah, think about. Yeah, like it ended up being a great accident. And I tell some people now it stands for best of all time. It doesn't. Um... <laughs> And my, a friend of mine who's a graphic designer made this really cool logo with a little hidden boat in the A. And it was just like, whoa, this is awesome. Right. But it was a total accident. Right. <laughs> and so that eventually you guys, uh, there was, at that time you started doing, um, uh, not just sketch for the stage, but you started uploading to YouTube as well. And yes. putting content out there. Yeah. So we started, we were starting to do a bunch of shows at UCB and then we're like, God, we got to, uh, we, we just need to make some sketches and... Yes, we started doing that, and I feel like we missed... This is, I'm making excuses for us, utterly, when I say this. I feel like we missed the perfect window. I wish we'd... We always say this. We're like, we would have been on TV if we had uploaded sketches, like, a year before. But, of course, that's making excuses. But, like, the, the big internet sketch groups that were, like, two years ahead of us were Britannic, mm-hmm. uh, Good Neighbor... Right. Um... Uh, uh, old English, these teams that like went on to like have giant internet followings, but also it could just be that we're, I don't know. There are a million reasons why we never we got popular, but we never like were insane internet popular. Right. But yeah, I mean, uh, you had a few that have uh, that have blown up. We have a, a couple bit. little the, viral hits. The 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 one that I mean it slayed me. I sent it to everybody i knew after i watched it was the one that was big was the silver man oh wow that one. Oh, that's fun oh that i didn't know you were gonna say that yeah I, uh, I i i love that sketch like yeah so just as if you want to just give the the quickest rundown okay. as to what it's two guys that come across one of those performers who's dressed in all silver and is frozen and when you give him a dollar he like moves around but he god i'm trying to remember what happened he pulls out a gun what is, oh yeah he pulls out a gun and puts it to his head and they can't decide whether to give him a dollar or not they want to see what happens uh but then they're like he's not going to shoot himself and they give him a dollar and he shoots himself and they give another dollar and some silver policemen come up and arrest them and they oh god what happens it's like like silver michael chickless from the shield oh like, yeah yeah, ends up yeah. Interrogating it's like them. they're it, reported on silver news yeah it's just, just look it up oh gosh yeah. it's hard to explain it's yeah. uh, is the thing I, it that is very far or it's it is it is like it's really far the most absurd thing but it's that's the kind of thing where i think um it's a very like patently boat sketch i agree and it it's the idea is i mean just like because i've I guess you could say this is a lot of sketch comedy, but there's a certain element to boat. Maybe you can elaborate more on this, which I feel is like uh, taking the everyday or combining the everyday into making something absolutely bizarre but grounded in its own way. Yeah, that's and, a good description. I think, yeah, I think we like, if I if we were to sum up our style, because we were always just like, our style is funny. What we think is funny. I don't know. Uh, but I think we start with a... Uh, a setup which seems very simple that people will get and then I our goal is always to heighten two times further than anyone else would expect mm-hmm. 
So we like to think of like, where would the sketch normally end? And then how can we go further, impossibly further than that? Right. So we like to, I think often we pride ourselves that our best sketches like other comedians also like, because once you do a lot of comedy, you start to see the magic a bit and expect what will happen. And so we like to even twist it and take it further than beyond like what another comedian might do or expect. Right. And then, so after, after New York, which I think that sketch was filmed in LA, but after, after yeah, yeah. New York, you, you, uh, you guys relocated to LA. Yeah. Right? We all moved together, which was a big, scary move. Uh, we felt like we had gotten a following in New York, and at that point, we uh, we had started. We got a manager, an agent, and we were touring to different colleges. And we were like, you know what? I mean, it wasn't this clear cut, but we had always we'd been to LA a couple times to like try to audition for stuff for pilot season, and we just finally were like, let's go for it. Let's just all move, mm-hmm. and which is crazy that that happened. Um, and we all moved out here. And promptly we're like, wow, we're starting from the bottom again. Oh man, like no one would come to our show when we got here. And it was a rude awakening, but we did, we did have weird momentum in that we were suddenly like going on like general meetings and we moved out here with the goal of pitching a TV show Mm -hmm. or like selling a TV show. And so acclimating uh, to LA and Mm -hmm. to a new type of audience. What, I mean, obviously Mm. you said it was tricky in the beginning because it was hard to get a turnout, Yeah. but what is like, what are the general traits of Mm. a great and a poor LA audience compared to a great and a poor New York audience? Good question. Uh, so these are, these are broad generalizations because I feel like I've had great audiences on both coasts. Mm -hmm. I think as a broad generalization, a New York audience enjoys darker humor more. And in and, and L.A., not necessarily that they're less or more PC, which mm-hmm. I feel like people say that sometimes and I actually don't think it's true. I think it's that the best example I would have is when we came to L.A., there was a hosting bit we would do to promote our show that would kill in New York. Uh, but it, it, it hinged on a 9-11 joke. And... In LA, we did it, and the audience went like, ooh, like they, they recoiled. And we thought that was insane because it's like in New York, like that's where it happened. Right. But then we were like, oh, that's probably why New Yorkers feel more comfortable laughing at it because they were like a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I feel like general New York likes meaner humor too, kind of like meaner, darker, or at least at UCB. Then. I don't know if there's any distinction between like smart or dumb humor. I think everyone likes w- what they like, but yeah, the really dark meanness we enjoyed a lot more in New York and right. in LA they didn't love. Also, a tough thing about LA crowds is that if you do a show at 7 p.m. in New York, it feels like a better show because in LA people are just getting there from rush hour, right? Like they've had to commute an hour to get there. Oh, interesting. Um, because. Yeah, like if you're going to do a show at 7 in L.A., it's like you have been sitting a trap to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we realized quickly like that's not as good a showtime as we thought. Um, but also Too Late is not a good showtime in L.A. because you can't go home in the subways. you got to hit a sweet 8.30 to 9 o'clock in it's, L.A. It's interesting because, I mean, even thinking about it, as someone L.A. born and raised, very little time spent in New York. But I, yeah. can, I can even imagine, like, I just feel like uh, not to get 
Tony Bennett about yeah. it, but like New York is like a city that like quote unquote never sleeps. Like yeah. a city that is like a lot more lively, a lot longer. Yeah. Like LA people got places to be. They got, I mean, I guess yeah. that's not say yeah. New York does, but like LA is like, it's a hassle to do things a little more. Yeah. So it's like, I think, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've gone to late night shows at UCB, yeah. but that's like a Friday or Saturday yeah. night when I'm going out, like maybe we go to a bar before or after, like yeah. it's, it's an event. Like, I don't know if you could get me out to, like, a, a late or very early show in L.A., yeah. like, when, at I, least happily. Yeah, <laughs> so it is... I, I often do... I don't want to be full-on, like, oh, New York, it's so romantic and great. <laughs> right. But there are things I do miss about it. Right. Um, but I've had, you know, great shows in L.A. I'm trying to think what makes a bad New York show. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot... I felt like there was a lot more drinking at shows in New York, which can be good or bad yeah like a lot more people being wasted which makes them rowdy but also sometimes to be like shut up a show is about participation i'm participating yeah 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 Yeah. so boat you guys have mentioned you guys are on a you've mentioned you're on a bit of a hiatus right now but the the group is still group still exists yeah uh see them often we are on a so pretty much we got to la oh gosh we uh so many pitched a tv show and then another tv show and it's like each big swing and a miss was like a year of our lives of effort that takes it's just taxing Mm -hmm. and we were around each other so much and once we moved to la the stakes were raised because now it's gone from being like a fun hobby where we're kings to being like okay now we're like betting our financial futures on it so it's just very stressful and it was just so much effort for the last show we tried to sell that really felt like it was going to go. Like we were working with like Jack Black's production company and we were like pitching to, you know, big places and felt like there was interest and then, you know, no one bought it. And then it's like, wow, a year of our lives is gone. And I think that coupled with all of us just starting to have other things going on, it meant that it was harder for us to put in the effort we needed to be at the level we wanted to be at because we always prided ourselves. I think why we got good in New York is because we were putting in like a lot of time and effort. Our shows are very like meticulously rehearsed Mm -hmm. and we felt like we just needed a break to like recharge. Man, then Enzio had two kids and we each started getting other projects and so we haven't really picked it back up for new material in a while, but right. we do shows from time to time. Yeah. We definitely still exist. Okay. That's, that's yeah. what matters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we, we can, of course, plug everything near the end mm-hmm. where people can sure, keep sure. track of you. Speaking of other projects, though, I actually remember when I was taking your class at the beginning of 2018, yes. I remember it was like the fi- like the week before the final week of the class. It was right near the end. I just started getting into watching... Adam ruins everything on oh, True yeah. TV. It was uh, right at right at the end of the class, and I was just like consuming it like crazy. And yeah. <laughs> I'm watching it uh, like a couple of days before the next class is coming up, and I'm like, and then they're like, uh, and let's get a word from Uncle Sam on this, and I'm like, that's what, huh, yeah. huh? <laughs> like, and I remember yeah. like I remember texting a friend of mine who was also taking the class yeah. and being like. I think Amos is playing Uncle Sam on Adam yeah. Ruins Everything. We, we, yeah. I, we checked IMDb, and there, there you were. First off, hilarious on the show. I think, yeah. Um, like, just playing a cartoon... Yeah, cartoon character. Like, this is not grounded acting. Oh, no. This is very broad, hacky, 
a performance for me. It is, well, because, yeah, it's like kind of, Adam ruins everything. Is Would I be, uh, I guess remiss isn't the right words, but would I be incorrect to be to say that Adam ruins everything is kind of like, I mean, it's an educational show Whatever for sure. Whatever you're about to say is true. Okay. So <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more of a, uh, like, adult, not like raunchy, like, ah, we're saying it, yeah. but like, but like more adult oriented, like kind of almost parody of like a children's educational show yeah. it feels like in fact to the point where they're one of their biggest demographics is children really and they didn't know that uh, or adam didn't know that you know when they started and learned that because they get all those numbers back and he was like you know what i just chose to think that's awesome and so now it's just cool that like someone watches the show like yeah. it's very performative and broad it's not subtle it is the least subtle show around oh no and uncle yeah. sam is because generally it's about the show for those who are unaware is about like kind of i guess not busting myths but 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 yeah. it, it's about like it's about like sort of breaking preconceived notions about a lot of very mm. popular ideas yeah and explaining sort of the truth often ugly truth behind them mm. and a lot of things a lot of episodes involve like american colonialism or yeah, sort of yeah. the greedier side yeah, of yeah, capitalism yeah. uh we won't have to get in too much into that uh but so Uncle Sam, often on the show, not always, but often is kind of a, a cartoon, like, mustache-twirling antagonist a yeah, little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, usually like a weird, sniveling villain. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, the role I was, I think, intended to first... The first time I was on, I thought it would be a one-time thing three years ago, doing, like, two lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I've spoken to the writers and they were like yeah we realized that it was such an easy tool for us anytime we needed to talk about america the irs any time they were talking about something u.s related they were like oh we can just cut to uncle sam and so i became an easy like writing device for them and then i've just been on three seasons of the show now (laughs) like it truly i thought it was gonna be an afternoon of work and it's turned into like three years of it and so did it start as just like an audition or how did how did it come about came about i mean Definitely, I was called into audition because I knew some of the people involved in the show. Like, I actually knew Adam from uh, Conover, New York. To be Adam clear. Conover, the host. Oh, my God. I realized we'd never... It's like, it's like me. Yeah. Uh, it's like I call, then I call Robert De Niro Bobby. Yeah, hey, yeah. Marty. How's it yeah. going? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Adam Conover, uh, the host of the show. I knew him from boat doing shows with him in New York. But I did audition. I didn't just get to, like, do it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I got called into audition because I was the lankiest, like, Jim Carrey knockoff they could think of. <laughs> and, and yeah, now I, it's, it's been great. Like, yeah. the crew is great. It's a well-oiled machine now because they've been doing it for three years. And they just dress me up like a living nightmare. <laughs> Let me go. They powder my, like, they make me paler than I am. I'm very pale. I know this is radio, but just imagine pale. And then they cake makeup on me, give me rosy little cheeks, glue on all the stuff. It's. I mean, you've got the you've got the uh, the bone structure. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's from one lanky guy to yeah. another. Yeah, right? yeah. So I understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I want to talk a bit about the uh, sort of two films you've actually got on the festival circuit right oh, now. Oh yeah. Baggage and Dig Your Own Grave. Yes. Um, so two very different short films. Yes. The one that I've written and directed uh, is Baggage. So the co-wrote uh, with Allison Spence Brown a. Highly talented writer, actor, who's now in New York. Yeah, she had the idea for it like four or five years ago. And then she and I wrote it together. And it became like sort of a pet project that we never thought we could get made. Then finally I was just like, 
it, all it's going to take is deciding to do this and investing more money than we want and time than we want. And so about a year ago, we made it. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, it's a rom-com kind of, kind of like, rom-com is the easiest way to describe it. Surreal yeah. rom-com. I directed it. I hadn't really, I directed a bunch of boat sketches before, but this is my first like capital D director mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then submitted it to a bunch of festivals and learned what that's all about. And it was a wild process. And so now it's showing at some festivals. It's almost done, though. Hmm. I, um, and then probably in early fall, it'll be on the internet for everyone to see for free. And and so both films, I think, are interesting because without really giving too much away about either. Well, first off, actually. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Dig Your Own Grave. Yeah. Well, actually, actually, first off, if you want to sort of give a little sort of blurb log line. Oh, yeah. So Baggage. So Baggage is, a young woman is like searching for love, uh, except that she's pursued by a gaggle of ex-boyfriends that only she can see. So it's like her literal baggage is visualized around her at all times and all her insecurities exist around her. It's kind of like a weird adult inside out. And then Dig Your Own Grave is a short that I wrote with a good friend of mine and very talented director, Kirk Larson. Because we had just, he had actually directed a few old boat sketches. Mm. He and I just wanted to do something together and co wrote that and filmed it also last summer, starring podcasting legend Henry Zabrowski. Mm. Uh, that one is uh, a hitman takes like a down on his luck guidance counselor to the desert uh, to murder him and make him dig his own grave. But they discover that uh, digging is way harder than, you know, <laughs> it is in the movies. The mm. ground is very hard, it takes a long time. So right. it's sort of like a dark comedy, right? Yeah, and uh, well, actually, baggage. Uh, yeah, just as a quick, a quick uh, little pin in there from me. Yeah, uh, you actually have a, a cameo of the back of yours truly. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, that's yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. yes. If, if you ever want to know, for because this is obviously radio, sure, yeah. listeners don't know my face, but if you ever want to see what my hair and one of my mm-hmm. uh, polo shirts looks like. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! Check out check out yeah, that coffee yeah, yeah, that coffee yeah, shop yeah, scene, yeah. Uh, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Do that, by the way, that uh, was that was a blast. I was seeing a, yeah, it was a, that was a hectic day. So I, I hope seeing how the scene had turned out, you, you were like, oh, that's what they were doing. Oh yeah. I oh, I mean, there. honestly, like it read to me as busy, like busy, but not yeah. um, not tumultuous or frantic or great. anything. Great. That's so. Great. For, yeah. So for whatever that's worth. I was just so stressed. Oh my god, I was so stressed. <laughs> Holy shit. Understand, well, I mean, you only have a limited number of hours to rent out yeah. a public space. Yeah, and public space. And, oh yeah. A major yeah, scene, yeah. yeah. Understandable. But, um, so I guess both these films, uh, obviously Dig Your Own Grave, even just from the logline, clearly a lot more grim and bleak than yeah, Baggage. Yeah, yeah. But Baggage has some elements, without giving too much yeah, away, yeah, Baggage yeah. has some elements that are, that are a bit... Um, melancholy i'd yeah, say it's uh it's not a rosy film no. well, like it like it is it's cute. a lot of it is like the tone is very like yeah cute, but it's but... not no, yeah it's 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 got a darker side it's not you've got mail yeah um that's... yeah it's sort of a commentary and you've got mail Ex- perhaps exactly yeah that's a great yeah. point so these are kind of representing i mean or are these representing a bit of a now with um the sort of hiatus of boat mm-hmm Obviously, between seasons or nearing the end of season three of Adam Ruins Everything, am I yeah, right? Yeah, season three, second half of season three starts back mid-August, and uh, spoiler alert, there's an Amos episode. Oh. There's an Uncle Sam episode. Oh. So I feel like I've clawed my way up <laughs> that production to go from a two-line guy to getting the 
American episodes. Amos, you've made it. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, it was. It truly was very fun. If I if I still had a DVR, I'd be queuing up the DVR yeah, already. But I'll find a way. It'll yeah. be on the internet at some point. I'll check yeah. it. But um, but do these kind of films? Do you think these short films with a bit of a darker tone to them? Like, what prompted this kind of pursuit of darker storytelling? I think, like, Boat has always kind of dabbled in the macabre. Yeah, but... yeah we definitely can get really... Yeah, I, I've i always had kind of a dark, messed up sense of humor. Like, I really like sharp left turns and big surprises and things you think are going to be happy that are not. Honestly, I really just wanted to work on them to have the feeling... Just something in my repertoire that was a little more, like, serious. Not, like, dr- dramatic serious, but, like calling a, something a sketch versus a short film they can be the l- exact same thing but people in the biz treat them differently right so i wanted like a short a serious short film right. <laughs> to sort of have as a calling card uh which is great because now eventually i want to be a writer director so now i at least have something a thing to be like i can do it right yeah right well yeah i mean both films are again different but also not as different as you might think, oh, uh, yeah. but uh, but uh, very funny. Especially, I mean, like I think um, the one that surprised me with how funny it was, just because it wasn't what I was expecting, was "Dig Your Own Grave" because it starts yeah. off so intense. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, Kirk is such a good director. That one, I'm like, oh, he's a professional director. Right. Like he, it looks like a movie. Right. Yeah, and then it becomes very silly, but then also gets dark again. Um, it, has a, yeah. it has a very nice ebb yeah. and flow to it. Yeah. So I guess this is probably as good a place as any to kind of uh, wrap up the interview here. We are, after a quick break, uh, we're going to do a reading of one of the uh, sketches from Boat. Which All right. I'm very excited about. Yeah, yeah. It's an early, from the archives, an early Boat sketch. And we will get into that in a minute. Um, as you recall, I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago that I'm trying to do more sketch not you specifically amos i don't think you're aware but uh, i am trying to do more sketch on the show and so i think what better than to do one that also showcases your guys's work yeah so it's not gonna be a break for you guys because i'm gonna cut that right out but then we'll but it'll be a break for us so enjoy the reading of uh the name of the sketch again first call first call the year is 1876. Alexander Graham Bell is putting the finishing touches on his brand new invention, the telephone. By God, Mr. Watson, if my adjustments were correct, this should work. It's going to transmit sound, Mr. Graham Bell? I don't understand how- Trust the science, Mr. Watson. Now go to the other room, pick up the receiver, and let's give this thing a go. Okay. Mr. Watson, come here. I need you. I can hear you! It works! Bye, George. Come back to this room and we'll celebrate. I'll be right there! Did you hang up? Oh, I was uh, waiting for you to hang up. Oh, no, you hang up. Oh, you hang up. I asked you first. Let's do it at the same time, then. Okay, fine. One, two, two three... three. Four! You weren't going to hang up! Only because you weren't! Well, I kind of like talking to you on the telephone. I kind of like talking to you too. When will we see each other again? When I come back to the other room. In five seconds. I'd like that. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Oh, is it too soon to call him back? I don't want to seem needy. You're just checking in. You're just checking in. It's fine. Hello? Hey, it's me. I'm sorry, who's this? It's Alexander, the only other human with a telephone. Oh, hey. So, what are you doing? Um, nothing. What are you doing? Oh, you know, just testing out this new thing I've invented. It's pretty cool. Revolutionary device, you know. Cool. Is that it? Mr. Watson, are we okay? What does that mean? Oh, you know, who did you think was calling before? It's almost like you're talking to other inventors. <laughs> what? No. No, you're being crazy. I'm, I'm going to hang up, and you're going to realize how crazy you sound. Oh, now I'm crazy. The man who entered the telephone is crazy. Did you hear that, clock? I I'm sorry, I can't hear you. You're breaking up, going through a tunnel. I can't... Nothing... Yeah? Now you listen to me, Mr. Watson. If you don't want to be my inventing sidekick, you just let me know. You know it's not like that. Oh my god. Are you with Edison right now? Uh, listen, I've got to go. The movie's starting. Phone's off, you know, people are looking at me. Gotta go, gotta go, love you. What now? What the hell is a movie? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. All right, was that not a bucket of laughs, Amos? Oh, uh, a veritable bucket of them. I think so. I dare I even say a party platter. Yes, this is... uh, a buffet of chortles. Mm, 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 mm. Mm -hmm. Feed me up good. Uh, this is the, <laughs> it's actually the second episode in a row I've used the word party platter. But oh, it wow. It won't be the last. It could be your tagline. I think so. That's my new sign-off. Party yeah, platter. Party there platter. it is. That's okay. all it is. Yeah. It'll make party. it work. It'll work after a while. Just give it, like, 16 episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People will be chanting it along with you. They'll get sick of it, and then it'll become funny because they've gotten so sick of it. Does exactly. that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Amos, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Um, if people want to find you or the films, you got a lot of things you can plug. Uh, so. If you want to check out Boat Sketches, you can go to BoatComedy.com or YouTube.com slash BoatComedy. Uh, dig Your Own Grave and Baggage. You know, look for them to be appearing on the World Wide Web. In maybe September-ish, Dig Your Own Grave is going to have another screening in LA. Uh, I don't know when it is yet, but it's it's uh, when I know. I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you, and you can tell I'll, me. I'll, yeah, I'll get I'll get yeah. the word out on the show. Um, let's see what else. What else? What else? You can look for me uh, teaching classes at UCB Theater. Uh, I'm not teaching one right at the moment, but I certainly will in the future. You got the Twitters or the Instagrams or anything? You know, you the Instagrams, uh, yeah, but gosh, there is no real quality branding there. You're going to see pictures of my dog, and pictures of bread, and pictures of my cat. What but more? At Amos Vernon. Amos right? Vernon is a man who likes dogs, bread, yeah. and cats. Yeah, That's... and I haven't been active on Twitter in like two years. I'm truly terrible at personal branding. Huh. Yeah. yeah Twitter is <laughs> just a, a nightmare realm of. of yeah. Uh, yeah. Toxicity. I just try to avoid it. Yeah. I think I think that's for the best. And then uh, Adam ruins everything. The yes, season starts back up when? Check out, uh, sometime in August. If you check out that the, them on social media, they are very active. Adam ruins everything on Instagram. Uh, I'm in their most recent promo. I think it's uh, August, maybe 12th, 13th, around then. All right. Yeah. Well, keep, keep, keep your eye out, guys. Amos, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Remember, party, party platter. platter. There it is. <laughs>